your time is your knowledge and that's that's the value that we're giving to to the projects and the clients so there is that aspect of how many hours do you work what can you do within the these hours and you've you've really got to be realistic if if a client turns around and says oh can you make this all these maps and all these applications and code all this within a day you really have to know your skill and say actually we can do something like that but we need a bit more time you've got to you've really got to understand if it's going to take you a little bit longer Welcome to another episode of the Mapscaping Podcast. My name is Daniel and this is a podcast for the geospatial community. In just a minute you're going to hear a conversation between myself and Sophie Willett. Sophie is an early stage geospatial professional. She's been working as a consultant for the last year and a half. This podcast episode today is part of a small series of episodes that I want to publish that's going to focus on geospatial students and early stage professionals. And the inspiration for wanting to create this small series of, of podcast episodes came from the insight that we oftentimes talk about the future of geospatial in terms of technology and, and data and that kind of thing, but we very rarely take the time to talk with the future of geospatial, which is, of course, these students, these early stage professionals. So the, the hope is that by sharing these episodes, Perhaps they'll provide a reference for other early stage professionals. Perhaps they'll answer some of the questions that, that students might have about the geospatial industry, what that first job looks like. And if you're a more senior geospatial professional, if you've been in the industry for a while, perhaps this will be a reminder of what it was like that time you were just starting out. Maybe you'll remember that one person that really made a difference in your career. And perhaps you'll be inspired to be that one person for someone else. So just before we get started today, I want to say a big thank you to my sponsor, SafeGraph. So SafeGraph are geospatial enthusiasts just like us. They curate points of interest data, building footprint data, and foot traffic data. So you can do a whole bunch of interesting things with data like this. You can do a competitive landscape analysis, if that's something you're interested in. You might be looking at determining how many visitors came to a specific building, or perhaps mapping population movement. Or maybe you have a completely different use case or analysis in mind. Uh, if you know that you need points of interest data, if you're looking for this kind of data for the US, Canada or the UK, definitely check out SafeGraph. And if you want to know a little bit more about SafeGraph, if you want to go a little bit more in depth with how this data is collected, um, check out episode 38. SafeGraph have actually been on the podcast before. If you go back through the archives and look for an episode called Building Geospatial Truth Sets, um, you, you'll find out a lot more about the company, what they do, and perhaps how you can work together with them. Hi Sophie, welcome to the podcast. Um, would you mind just introducing yourself to the audience? Uh, perhaps explain where you are in terms of your geospatial career right now and a little bit about how you got there. Hi, yeah. Well, thank you for having me, Daniel. So at the moment, I'm a graduate geospatial consultant. So I work at the moment um, in a, a company called Arcadis, who are a design and engineering company. So within the engineering sector, I work for highways and infrastructure. But before that, I actually studied natural sciences at university. So a little bit more unconventional than a lot of my colleagues who perhaps did geography or geology. And then I focused down into remote sensing at university in my dissertation and then decided to do a master's in GIS. So not quite the, the direct route that I was expecting from natural sciences, but that's where I'm at at the moment. When you say a master's in GIS, was that like with a just total focus on GIS as a specialization or was it 
you know, uh, GIS w- within some other form of specialization, perhaps an environmental issue, for example? So the, the master's itself was purely GIS, so geographical information systems. And what we did within just, it's just a year, we, we focused on cartography, we had a, a module on Python scripting, we had a module on mobile GIS. So they really wanted to give us a a taster of all the different aspects of GIS and then I know for example so I've gone into the consultancy I have a a friend from the masters who's gone into PhD in research so it really did just give us give us a taste of what GIS can be and then we sort of molded it to what we wanted. That's really interesting because a a lot of people talk about GIS as not being a profession in itself it's like a, a toolkit that we use and we apply to to different sort of industries if you will but it sounds like this was this was a real focus on GIS as a profession. If you were to probably ask my lecturers, we were all within the geography and geology building, but I think there was quite a distinction that people do use GIS, the the geospatial skills, a geographer might use it just to, to do a map or do some sort of analysis. But there was a real focus to have people who had the fingers in all the pies of GIS or geospatial, uh, geospatial. They really wanted us to to be skilled in being able to adapt quickly to the the world of analytics and have have a little bit of skill in it and being able to develop and flourish in perhaps something whether it's remote sensing or the cartography side of it. I think the lecturers and I found a lot of the the people doing it wanted, like you said, it's a toolkit, but if you have that toolkit, your your flexibility and ability to, to pick up these this, the skills quickly and apply them to a range of projects makes you different from perhaps just a geographer who has the knowledge of of the earth, of the people on the earth. And it's it's developing that skill to be adaptable. I think that's why I I really like the, the GIS master's idea, because I thought, well, actually, this is going to going to teach me a range of things and the opportunities in the future are endless I can I could go into anything I wanted to and that's really why I chose it as a master's rather than going straight into employment after studying natural sciences. Okay so, so we've, you've got this GIS master's and you mentioned earlier on that you're working as a geospatial consultant can you give us an idea of what your you know, what your day-to-day looks like when you're working as a geospatial consultant? Yeah of course so oh, day-to-day I would say it's depending on the project you're on. So projects can be a week, they could be half a year, they could be up to two years. I know some people are on, but my day-to-day at the moment, I'm focusing more on mobile GIS. So using Survey123, I've been supporting the technical side in terms of creating the surveys, getting that those out on site, getting the engineers and the inspectors to use them. And then also almost full circling it and then collecting the data they've gone out to site to collect and putting it onto a dashboard, putting it onto some sort of web app for for then the analysis to be done by the engineers. So that's my everyday at the moment. When you start with a project, you think, okay, well, I need to do this, that and the other, A, B, C. But actually, when when it comes to the skills of that, you don't have to do it in that order. As long as the, the deliverable and the end result is the same, you can focus a, a bit more on, say, the report making or put some more time into the automated coding. And it's that flexibility that I really enjoy. So every day is, is not the same. And I have different meetings every day and you can be on different projects. And it's having it's that consultancy of you can be applied on quite a range of projects and get the job done. How you do it is up to you or up to how your team wants to do it or how the project manager wants to do it. And then you're able to present this this end result and you go 
this is going to help this project hugely. I don't know how some projects don't use mapping or they don't use geospatial analysis and they've just been looking at Excels and I go, this is really going to change the game. So you mentioned that you're working on lots of different projects there. Is there crossover between those projects that you're working on in, in terms of you know, expert subject knowledge or are they all com- uh, completely unrelated? I'm a bit both really. I, I find that um, once I, so last year I, I worked fully on, um, all my time was on Survey123 and Mobile GIS. And I found that since doing that almost naturally, my skill in that has developed and I, I can support other teammates in their careers with um, Survey123 and how to, to really get the most out of that on other projects. So I think you can, you can naturally become I wouldn't use the word expert, but you would naturally become well known for, for understanding the techniques and the technology behind it. But at the same time, I think as, as a graduate and within the company, I'm able to say to my line manager, you know what, I really do fancy doing, for example, I've said a bit more remote sensing or I really want to develop my skill in Python coding and automating or a bit of FME. And they're able to to accommodate what you we'd like to learn and if there's any training you need to do. So it really depends how you want to approach it, if you want to become a, a specialist in just this, this small small part of the umbrella of geospatial and GIS, or if you, you want to keep your, your skills broad and your toolkit as, as full as you like. So thank you very much for sharing that with us. It sounds like you've got an incredibly flexible um, workplace. I, I guess what I was trying to get at before, though, is that expert subject knowledge in terms of the domains that where you're applying survey one, two, three, for example, is it all building sites? Is it um, transport, for example, or, or something different? Is there any crossover between those application areas? So within uh, the company that I work for and the team we're in, we're, we're mainly um, highways and we do a lot of rail work in the infrastructure there. So for example, in the past survey one, two, three, I've worked with a client who, is the river waterways and they they use the the survey one two three surveys they use them for just um asset inspections so i can use that knowledge of okay well these inspections they will want photos they want they want to be able to add a load of text they want their location to be collected and apply that to perhaps a slightly different um, assignment, for example, risk analysis, or if the inspectors want to go out and analyse, I don't know, pavements or some sort of council work, that there's always a slightly bit of um, a crossover. And I think sometimes the way it's approached can be similar. So you've, you've got the same building blocks of, okay, how do I create a survey? How, in terms of mobile GIS, how is the user going to use it? And it all adds on top of each other, but not necessarily the same topic or the same assignment or project. There can be different clients. You, you'll be working with a slightly different team. They will sometimes want a slightly different outcome. So whether they want, is it a dashboard? Do they want a web map? Do they want reports to be generated? Do they want it within a geo database so that they can just extract it and stick it in a model? It really does vary depending on quite a few different aspects. That all makes perfect sense to me. So you had this formal education in, in geospatial and master's in, in GIS, and you mentioned topics like Python, mobile, um, data collection, and, and remote sensing, and it sounds like you're working actively with, with some of those in your current role. How well do you think that master's in GIS has prepared you for the, the tasks that you're asked to perform today? I would say I would struggle if I hadn't done the, the master's in where I, with the work I'm doing now. I think... I know a lot of people who don't, they don't have the masters in GIS, perhaps they did geography or they, they've played around a little bit with coding. And that definitely gives you a head start. I think what the masters 
did was provide the opportunity for me to explore these different um, techniques and topics and themes and almost work out okay I did I I never thought I would enjoy coding I always thought computer science that's not me I like a bit of maths but actually in my everyday work that that's what I I try and bring into the project I try and bring some sort of coding and automation to give the the project the advantage and hopefully make things easier for people and I think that's what to me that's what the master did it, it allowed me to explore and and just try new things. And it, it like like I said, we had a module which was cartography, and then we had coding, and then we just had some simple geo analytics. And it was having a month or so and a module to experiment and to provide deliverables on those topics. I was able to go now. I can go. Okay, well, I did that um, in my masters. I wasn't great at it. Maybe I'd need a bit more training. And it was having that sort of exposure to them over the year for me to say oh I can say to my line manager I know how to do that or I've I've had some experience in that and it, it, it just starts the conversation of whether you either want to you want to explore what that means for for work now and whether you want to be popped on that project or if you if you don't and I there are quite a few topics I can go well actually I don't fancy doing that for for this project is there something else I can work on or if I compromise and we do this project can I then focus a bit more training and do some personal development in this other topic like remote sensing or that can lead on to sustainability so yeah it sounds like you're doing a really good job of being proactive and taking charge of your your own learning I guess and the, the experiences you want to have and gain while you're working is is that difficult to do because I, I think it you know, when you've just started out in an organisation, you might feel like you're coming across as being very demanding or perhaps in, entitled. Um, how do you not feel like that? Or what, what makes it easier for you to, to have these conversations with your, with your line manager? Um, I think, well, to start with, you have to have quite an open relationship with your line manager. My line manager, she's fantastic. She's really got my back in anything I want to do. And, and I agree, when you, when you start out in full-time employment after university you feel like perhaps you can't ask questions you can't give your preference or your priority on some sort of project or the work you want to do but I find that as long as you approach it respectfully and and say well I've had experience in this and I know it's not really my cup of tea I think most employers will listen to that and I think that's something in terms of when I was looking for a job that's I wanted a people focus company having worked I hadn't worked in an office before the job I'm in now and it's something that I was conscious of that I could just become someone in a suit who rocks up nine finishes work at half past five goes home but I really wanted to enjoy work and I think that's why I put a lot of I actively put a lot of effort into my personal development and that's something that uh, the company I work for Arcade is they they're really keen for you to do because they don't want you to be bored. They want you to excel in what you're good at. And until you find that, that that's why I'm, I, I try and ask for, for different opportunities. And you've got to seek that out because at the end of the day, that's that's your responsibility. And I don't want to be here in five years time with no progress and saying, well, I've got nothing to prove for the last five years. There's, there's no harm in asking, really. I really admire that approach. I, I think it's, you know, it's proactive and it's going to ensure that you get the experiences that, that you want to have. I, I think it's really, really clever, but not particularly easy to do. So hats off to you. Um, so th this is your first job, I believe. How did you how did you get the job? What, what did the process look like for you for applying for this job? Oh, gosh, it was stressful and difficult. And I think anyone that says otherwise is lying. <laughs> I think it took me a lot of time 
to get over the f- the first thing I found is when I was rejected from jobs because I applied to probably half a dozen to a dozen and I really took the rejection quite personally and so like I, I stepped back and thought well I need to make this application every single time personal to the company I was applying for I made sure that I covered their values most companies on their websites will have their values their goals and really almost tick box that say well have I mentioned that if I have an interview do I do I bring this up and prove for example why I'm I'm driven in sustainability or I'm people driven or I really focus on what the client wants and you really have to mold yourself to what they're looking for because at the end of the day I'm sure companies get such a huge range of applicants and it can be so disheartening when you're when you you don't even get to the interview stage but I was lucky enough with Arcadis I got through to the assessment stage and I fully think it was the assessment and not my interview or my application that allowed me to to get the job where I am because with the assessment day so we we traveled down to London there was quite there's quite a few of us and they gave us um they gave us a task of building something with Lego working together but Actually, I realise what they're looking for is how you interact with everyone, whether you go and talk to the assessors at lunchtime, whether you you are just an open minded person. So that's what I really tried to focus on. You've got to work for the company you're going to apply for. You've got to really prove yourself to them, not not necessarily the qualifications, because at the end of the day, if you get past the, the questions in the interview stage, they know you're qualified. They want to know who you are. And that's hope. Well, the proof is in the pudding that, that hopefully that's where I've, I was able to succeed by just proving that I was the sort of person, hopefully, that that you would want on a team and vice versa. You're, you're also assessing whether the people in your assessment day and in the interview, are they people you want to work with? So you can still be slightly fussy and you can come away and go, actually, that, that's not really the environment I want to work in. But lucky Luckily for me, the, this yeah, the one with Arcadis worked really well. I think that's really amazing that you, that you could see that that you could see what they were actually looking for here. We're, we're not, you know, who cares whether you finish the the project or not with, with the Lego, right? That this has no impact for them. There's no benefit for them if you finish building the Lego or not. It's how you work as a team, and and then you started thinking like other thoughts around that, like okay, not just how we work as a team. How do we interact with them? You know, do we come up to them at lunchtime? Do we ask questions? Because that's going to be a big part of your working life. I think that was brilliant and a, a really amazing insight that you had there. Um, so a lot of people, I think, when they go to some of these assessment days or a, a part of an application process, it, it, they might feel like the traffic is all one way, right? People are asking them questions and they're responding. You sound like the kind of person who perhaps flipped that a little bit on its head and started asking questions of, of the the people involved in the application process of of the business. Um, If that's the case, could you give us an idea of some of the questions you wanted answers to? Yeah, so I I remember my um, assessment day quite clearly and the interview with someone was with someone I now work with. He's in my team. I remember going to the interview in the, so there was a, the assessment day was interview, a few interviews and then a group activity, like I said, and then just a lunchtime. And with the, with the interviews, they asked me, what sort of work do you want to go into? Where do you see yourself in, I don't know, five years time? What do, is GIS? They asked the pretty standard questions. I think if you were if you were making up an interview for Geospace, you'd go, OK, what do I need to know about this person? And what I asked them, I'd hopefully, I'd like to think, formed quite just a, 
not not an informal you just you just have to come across as quite relaxed and not too too stressed out it's obviously a completely stressful situation and I'm someone who gets rather anxious before but actually if you relax yourself the interviewer will be relaxed as well and what I what I asked them um was what does your day look like what is something that I can expect to be working on so can you give me some examples because those are things that I really did want to know I wanted to know if I got this job in in a month's time what would I be doing what where are the the locations of the clients do you meet the clients often and it was questions that perhaps on the 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 job description it would say oh you could it's quite vague you'll be working on these sorts of projects what can you give me an example and I really actually found when you ask specific questions like can you give me an example of a project I might work on or how many other graduates are there what's the team like they they showed how passionate they were about the job as well and I think maybe it's perhaps would be different if you were interviewed by someone who was just in the recruitment team but because within this GIS team we were interviewed and the assessors were part of the team themselves you really got an idea of what the team was like and it was trying to establish if I would fit quite well into that really. So earlier on we talked about some of your hard skills we mentioned this uh, mobile data collection Python uh, remote sensing again so these are a lot of the skills that you had the opportunity to learn and develop during your your master's Um, and I'm sure you thought or Maybe you still think of them as being key skills, but now that you've been out at work you know, in a working environment for the last year, year and a half, what do you think your key skills are today? I think that's a good question. I think technical skills, I think what uh, really changes the game and levels up what how other engineering teams see GIS is the automation side, the data management. But in terms of I think quote is soft skills, which I think are almost just important, if not more important, on the job I've learned to to be as open-minded and as flexible as possible you've got to you really have to learn on the job geospatial work and the GIS topics I cover cover a huge amount of skill types and you've really got to be able to not necessarily bounce around from one skill to the other but sit down refocus your mind I always joke that if I start doing some coding I I can code in Python and R but if I haven't done it for a couple of weeks it almost looks like a foreign language to me and I've once I've I've got a task where I have to use that sort of language I almost have to retrain my brain you've got to rewire it just as the same as if you had a cartographic topic or a project and then you quickly flip and you, you you're on some sort of FME or data automation you really have to be able to quickly rewire your brain to go okay change gear let me let me think about this in a slightly different way and as well as to consider why you want to uh, why you're why you're doing this 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 skill why you're doing this sort of topic or the the technique you've got to think what's the the end result and it's having that sort of learn on the job you you can go anywhere not the, the toolkit is there. You've got just got to be able to quickly pick and choose which skills you want to develop. And I think having worked in an office and I, I've worked at Arcadis for almost, well, just coming up to a year and a half now, it's that people skills. I think GIS and geospatial is still something, it's not it's not part of the discussion at the start of a, a project. And you've really got to build that relationship to help people understand what it is really what GIS even stands for there are so many acronyms and also why why it's good for their project and why it's going to help them so you really have to have those like I said soft skills but to to bring yourself and and the skill set and GIS 
to the forefront of people's mind to say, this is worth your time. Let, let me do this for you. So are you also involved in the selling in of, you know, your skills to, to these different projects or are you like a, a resource that they already know that they need? Because I, I think there are two different things there. If they already know that they need you know, someone like you who can do the things that you can do, you know, if you're a project manager, you take down these, these things from the shelf. Okay, these are the default things we need to do this project. They take them down, you know, plop them into the project. But if they don't know, then sometimes you you have to go out and actively sell your skills, which is, I think, what you were getting at just before. Um, are you So are you actively involved in that selling in of these are the things I can do to help you get to where you're trying to go? So my primary job is I'm a resource. At the, at the beginning of each project, they work out, okay, we need we need some sort of GIS consultant and from the team I might be selected or someone slightly senior. I'm, I'm still just a graduate at the end of the day. However, I think what I'm witnessing within my team and with the work of um, technical directors and senior and principal consultants in GIS is there is more opportunities out there than we're working on. We, we have a, a slew of work and projects and infrastructure work which know they need GIS but there are also so many clients and team leaders and project managers and business directors who don't necessarily know what they're missing and I think I'm I'm, I'm trying to anyway I'm trying to get more involved in that sort of the the internal initiative of making GIS a topic of conversation because I think what's what is quite perhaps a small task to us can really change and help the the project. So an example I can think of is I was in a meeting and someone said, oh, it would be really great if we could map this data or just have a look at it. And we went away and said, well, well that's quite simple. You have point data, we'll pop it on a map, maybe give him a dashboard, some sort of approval process, do the symbology. And you'd be surprised by how, how little people think of the symbology and mapping when, when they look at data. And that really allowed people visually to to view the data and go oh gosh whether we have a problem there or that's something that we've not thought of because we've not seen it in this sort of way before and I think there is an aspect still to to GIS and geospatial work where we have to to sell it not necessarily for monetary value but you have to sell why it's worth the time and the effort to, to hire geospatial and GIS consultants to get involved because they don't know I know a lot of engineers, they, they have their, their way of working and they don't necessarily know what they're missing. And I think that's part of the job. I, I explain what my job is every single time I say to someone, new, oh, I'm a geospatial consultant. They go, what on earth does that mean? And you've got to start from the from the ground up. And I think there are people still in my industry and I think geospatial can be applied to every single industry as long as there's any sort of data, spatial, and you can have temporal data and you can really make the most of it and I think we've still got to as a as a GIS and geospatial professionals it's our job to to sell it to everyone who doesn't know what it means and what it can do for them I think I'm in that position where I'm luckily able to be resourced but I also want to actively within the within the future work with the team to say let's make it part of the conversation from the very very start because GIS really has the potential I really like your approach there. It sounds like you're acting as an ambassador for yourself and and for the industry. And I I think that's a a really, really, really clever thing to do. So I I noticed in your title there is geospatial consultant. And sometimes when we see consultant in a title, there's this expectation of billable hours. You know, so you charge for the amount of hours that you work. Is that something that you've experienced in your job? 
Yeah, so I've had um, a small bit of experience in terms of uh, project managing and uh, managing my time. And I think consultancy, and that's just the, the nature of the the, in the environment that I work in and the team works in. You do have to build your time because your time is your knowledge and that's that's the value that we're giving to to the projects and the clients so there is that aspect of how many hours do you work what can you do within the these hours and you've you've really got to be realistic if if a client turns around and says oh can you make this all these maps and all these applications and code all this within a day you really have to know your skill and say actually we can do something like that, but we need a bit more time. You've got to, you've really got to understand if it's going to take you a little bit longer, if the client's being reasonable. And if you, if you, you can't say yes to everyone, you really have to understand where you draw the line and go, let's sit these people down and say, this is what we can do for you, but we need to be paid. At the end of the day, my, my salary isn't calculated off my billables. It's not like recruiting or anything within that sort of sector. But there there is a lot of effort done by people slightly higher than me in what are they going to be working on in this time how long is it going to take myself or a colleague to do this and is this reasonable are we are we asking too much or can they be pushed a little further in terms of skill do they need a bit more training in this so there's the flexibility but at the end of the day it's still a business and you've still got to make money I completely understand that the business side of it. I understand why people do it. I just think when we first start out in the industry and it's the first time that we have to be on the hook for the hours that we're billing and the work that we're producing, I think it can be a little bit intimidating for a lot of people. Has it been intimidating for you? I think I found it quite not difficult. When when you start out, you, you have to fill out your timesheet and you go, gosh, how many hours did I spend on this? Or, oh, that I spent too many hours on that. That's something I really need to improve on. But you, you do get used to it quite quickly. You realise that, especially if you're on quite a few different projects, that at the end of the day, they're just trying to not waste it well not waste they don't want to spend all this money to have this one little this one little solution so it's it's not it's not some it's not a battle we're all within the same company and we all are striving for the same goal but you want to be mindful that there are I work seven and a half hours in a day what can I do in that day and I almost I, I start the day at half past eight and I, I see what I need to do and think, how long do I think this is going to take me? There's a bit of flexibility of, OK, well, if this goes wrong, which is often the case if I'm working with Pro or Survey123, if any crashes. But you've got to you very quickly get in the mindset of, OK, I've spent several hours on this. Let me now go and work on this or, OK, it's the end of the week. I have some some goals and some GPS and personal development I need to do. I've assigned this time. Let me give that to myself. Let's not work until late at night and start work super, super early. You're, you have the hours in the day and, and it's it's doable. And hopefully with time management, that's something you pick up rather quickly because if you don't, it's a conversation I'm sure you'll have with a line manager. Sophie, I've really enjoyed the conversation. I, I think that your enthusiasm, it's, it's infectious. You can tell that you're a person who's thought about this, enjoys their work and, and sees a lot of future here. Just to sort of round off the conversation here a little bit, is there anything that you think in terms of geospatial and, and your career that is the, the most exciting for you right now? Ooh, at the moment, I think I'm still in the early stages of thinking, oh, I want I want to try everything. My GIS life started with remote sensing. That's something I want to come back to. I really I'm really quite driven to to incorporate sustainability and work on projects that have that as a important priority within the project so that's something I really want to get more involved with and I think 
having so a year and a half I I know people say oh I've got a 10-year plan I have probably a couple of years plan I know what I'm striving for now whether that will be the same in five years time but I know that the next steps what do I need to do to get there and it's not necessarily moving upwards all the time you can expand I'm I'm hopefully going to be working with some initiatives internally and with the local community and it's working out how do, how can I enjoy this and make it as beneficial to me and the company as possible. Sophie, thank you very much for your time. Again, I've really enjoyed talking with you um, and I wish you all the best with, with your career. I'm sure it's going to be a brilliant one. But before I let you go, would you mind letting the listeners know where they can go if they want to reach out to you and perhaps ask you some questions or, or connect with you? Yeah, of course. Well, thank you for your time as well. Um, so I'm on LinkedIn, Sophie Willett, which is W-I-L-L-E-T-T. And I do have a, a Twitter page. It's at Sophie will it underscore it's something that i'm really trying to push myself to use a bit more i'm part of a a a social media campaign with the early careers network so we do we use that as well so i'd say to anyone who's looking to get into geospatial to have a look at the um, agi's early careers network page and twitter page and i i think linkedin and twitter can be some fantastic tools so feel free to drop me a dm or drop me a message and i'd be more than happy to answer any questions anyone has really Thanks again, Sophie. Brilliant. Thank you, Daniel. Once again, a huge thank you to my sponsor, SafeGraph.com. So these guys do an incredible job of curating uh, points of interest for the UK, the US and Canada. And they do a ton of work for the community in general. They are one of the founding partners behind the PlaceKey initiative, which is worth checking out if you haven't heard of it before. And also they have built this thing called the Data Consortium, where they've built a community around academics working on their data. So they give free access to academics and a a lot of support as well, which I think is absolutely brilliant. So if you're in the market for points of interest data, check out safegraph.com. I'll put a link in the show notes to make it a bit easier to find and just realize that by supporting SafeGraph, you're also supporting all of the great work that they're doing for the geospatial community at large. I really hope you enjoyed that episode. That was Sophie Willett. I will put a link to her LinkedIn account in in the show notes so you can connect with her there if you want. So there there was a couple of things that really impressed me about Sophie. The the first one was that how proactive she is. Here's a person who's really taking responsibility for their own learning and for their own progression. And that it's a positive proactivity as well. It's not, you, you never get the feeling when you're talking to her that this is something she's been forced to do. This is something she wants to do. She's driven by curiosity and she, you know, she, she wants to learn these, these skills. And, to, and she's not waiting for somebody to come along and say, hey, it's your time now. She's not waiting to be picked. She's picking herself. And she's doing that by introducing people to GIS, telling the story, by working as an ambassador for herself, for her skills, and what GIS can can do for the people on the other side of the table. At no point during the conversation did Sophie refer to herself as being an expert, but I am sure that she understands that she's expert enough, that she's expert enough to meet the expectations, to solve the problems, not to perfection, but in a way that's good enough, in a way that meets spec. She's also expert enough to to provide things that the project wasn't necessarily asking for. And she talked about using Python to automate processes and how this, like her skills learned on one project could benefit another project. She's expert enough to see the overlap there and she's expert enough to make the time to experiment. And this is one of the big pieces of advice that John Nielsen gave us in the episode about communicating with, with maps. And his advice to young professionals was to make that time to experiment. 
to ask yourself the question like is there another way what would happen if so i'm sure you can see the tension here the tension between doing what we are being paid to do and running these small experiments and one thing that really helps me to understand whether this is something worth trying are these three questions and they are who is it for what is it for and if it fails do i get to try again and I think once you've, once you've answered those three questions, you'll have a really good understanding whether this is something that you should be experimenting with. And that's it for another episode of the Mapscaping Podcast. Thank you very much for tuning in again this week. It's much appreciated. As always, you're more than welcome to reach out to me on social media. You can find me at Mapscaping on Twitter and just search for host of Mapscaping Podcast on, on LinkedIn and I'll show up. I would love to connect with you there. If email is your thing, you are more than welcome to reach out to me on info at mapscaping.com. And if you don't want to reach out to me at all, well, that, that's perfectly fine too. I'll be back again next week with another podcast episode. I hope that you'll take the time to listen. Okay, talk soon. Bye.